0: Hello and welcome to another another episode of Casterdance, the Fire Podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Sherry. We are back to the Lord of the Rings. Um, so, at this point, we are at the Fellowship of the Ring, Book 2, Chapter 2, The Council of Elrond. And as a small refresher, I'll say that the books are divided into Book 1 and Book 2, each of them. So we are still on the Fellowship of the Ring. It's still the first book. We're we're in part two of it, and the chapters start counting from one again. And this is just in case you ha- you're following, you're trying to follow it, and having trouble finding where in the book it is. So. Beginning of the chapter, Frodo is uh, woken up and there's a nice description of Rivendell Valley and the Brunin River and all the thin silver mist and mountain scenery gossamer webs
1: snow peaked mountain tops drop in the distance.
0: So it, it, you get a nice uh, visual of uh, how beautiful it would be, and Frodo is actually hoping that he would like that he will uh, explore the valley some and go hiking in the pine woods far up on the north side of Rivendell, and Gandalf tells him he's. You might get a chance later, but you shouldn't make any plans because there's something important happening that day.
1: And they hear a single clear bell ring.
0: Which is a bell summoning them to come to the Council of Elrond, and both he and Bilbo are to go. And Sam goes along anyway, even though he actually was not summoned to this.
1: Or even, yeah.
0: Not summoned, not invited.
1: Uninvited, yeah. But Sam is not one who'd want to miss on things, if, if he could help it.
0: When they get there, Elrond, of course, is there. Um, so is Glorfindel, and Gloyne, who we um, previously mentioned is one of the dwarves that accompanied Bilbo on his quest to the Lonely Mountain, one of the originals. Strider is also there in his, uh, traveling clothes again. And Elvon actually, um, takes Frodo to a seat and presents him to the whole company. You know, this is the Hobbit, Frodo, son of Drogo, and few have ever come here under a greater danger, or on a more urgent errand. And he he points out some others that Frodo might not know yet. Um, there was a younger dwarf, Glorin's um, son, Gimli. Um, I'm actually going to give you a little bit of backstory... In one of Tolkien's other writings, Unfinished Tales, there's um, a small section on the quest of Erebor. So Gimli, the son of Gloin, he was actually already around by the time of The Hobbit, even though he never is mentioned in the book. He was 62, which was considered too young to go on the adventure think about that.
1: Yeah. I guess I'm just barely old enough.
0: So I don't know what teenaged age that is in dwarf years, but meanwhile, Jane Ironfort went to war at 32. Much younger, so I'm not fully sure how dwarf ages truly work. But yes, this is a son Gimli and uh Frodo was also introduced to the elves Aristor Galdor, who was an elf from the Grey Havens who was um sent there on an errand from Kurda the Shipwright. Another strange elf, wearing green and brown, Legolas, the son of the um, king of northern Mirkward, Thranduil. And a man from Gondor in the south named Barmir. Uh, If you're familiar with this story on any level... um, You'll recognize that Gimli, Legolas, and Baromir will all be major characters. While these others, um, Galdor and Aristor, are barely going to... They're barely in the story. It's just like, oh, yeah, they're here. and
1: Yeah.
0: So, basically, a lot of these people have come together to meet and discuss with Elvond from seemingly unrelated reasons that will turn out to be related in the end. So, Gloyne's story is that the dwarves of the Lonely Mountain were beginning to be troubled and feeling a disquiet. Some of them wanted to go back to Moria to their own kingdom, which in their language was called Casa Doom, where they had abandoned this kingdom long ago because the dwarves had delved deep there and woken the nameless fear. Um, They don't go into what this nameless fear is.
1: Yeah. And so their whole kingdom is
0: just They're abandoned, and some of the dwarves are interested in trying to take it back again. And none had tried to go back in a long time, except for Thor, who had died there. But finally, Balin had decided to go. And the current dwarf king, Dane, didn't want him to, but um, he did eventually and took with him a whole bunch of other dwarves, including Ori and Oin. So, Balin, Ori, and Oin, three of the original dwarves from the Hobbit quest, have all gone to Moria, but this was almost 30 years ago. And at first they were hearing good news, but they haven't heard anything from them in a really long time, and they're starting to be concerned about that. And also, about a year ago, a messenger came to Dane, but not from Moria, from Mordor, a horseman, who, he called Dane to the gate, and he said that Lord Sauron the Great wished for their friendship and would give rings for it, like he gave before, and he asked about hobbits, of what kind they were, and where they dwelt, because Sauron knows that one of, a hobbit had been known to them in the past. And this, of course, would uh, be Bilbo. Right. And they were troubled by this. Um, they didn't give an answer. And this messenger said to them that just they want just a small token of um, friendship for Saw and that they find this thief who... Um, took the least of rings, a little ring,
1: what a lie.
0: and um, get it from him, willing or not. And it's just a trifle that Sauron fancies in an earnest of their goodwill, and if they find it, three rings from the dwarf sires of old will be returned to them, and the realm of Moya will be theirs forever. So this is obviously, obviously... I mean, obviously to us as the readers, this is a trap of some kind. Yeah. But, you know, to the dwarves, this is offering them their old kingdom back. And their rings. Now, this also says to me that whatever is in Moria answers to Sauron. Or why would it be Sauron's to give? Right. But also, if the dwarves refuse this offer, things will not seem so well. And um, Dane said that he would not answer, but he would consider the message and what it means. And he was told he could consider well, but not for too long. And Jane says that his time is his own to spend and this messenger says just says for the present and rides off. And this messenger has returned two more times since then. So, you know, besides this. Glorne has also been sent by Dane to warn Bilbo that he is sought by the enemy, but also to learn why why the enemy wants this ring, this least of rings. Right. And he's also learned that similar messengers had come to King Brand and Dale, and King Brand is afraid, and... They fear that King Brand might yield.
1: Yeah.
0: And King Brand is already dealing with war on his eastern borders. And Elrond says that this um, council met about this ring, this Least of Rings. And it's not coincidence, basically, that the dwarves had showed up to the council at this exact time about this exact thing. Yeah. and elrond goes on about the forging of the rings way back in the second age and some of them already knew this but not every but nobody knew the whole story So Elrond uh, goes on about the elven smiths of Eregion and their friendship with Moria, and how they were eager for knowledge and Sauron had ensnared them. And at the time, Sauron was not yet evil to behold. And so they accepted help from him and grew mighty in craft. And Sauron so learned their secrets, and betrayed them, and forged secretly in the Mountain of Fire, the One Ring. But, Celebrim, but Celebrimbor was aware of him, and hid the three which he had made. And there was war, and the land was laid waste, and the gate of Moria was shut. And then traces the story of the ring Through all the years But Elrond didn't um, go into all the full detail Because it's elsewhere recounted Mm -hmm. And uh, they're short on time he also spoke of Númenor and its glory and its fall and the return of the kings of men to Middle-earth from the sea, born upon the wings of Storm and Elendil the Tall and his mighty sons Isildur and Anarion. And they had two kingdoms, the North Realm in Arnor and the South Realm in Gondor. Um yes, it was Isildur who ruled in Gondor and Anarion who ruled in Arnor and Sauron assailed them and they made the last alliance of elves and men and the hosts of Gilgalad and El- Elendil were mustered in Arnor. And then Elrond starts reminiscing about the splendor of their banners and the glory of the Elder Days because he's that old. He was there.
1: Can I throw in something? Yes. Well, reading this reminds me of reading the Old Testament.
0: It's similar. That in the Silmarillion is Old Testament-like also. Yeah. Very dense, very uh l- long names talking about long long ago things and
1: I hate to say that kind of thing just loses me. I'm like I get lost and I'm like I'm like okay. I guess I'm more visual like If I saw, like, charts of all this, you know, as opposed to reading the word of it, it would be easier, I guess. Yeah, if you actually
0: are really into this stuff and want more, read The Silmarillion, and I didn't say it was going to be easy. Elrond um, goes on about the Elder Days, and Arendelle, his father, who was born in Gondolin before its fall, and his mother, Elwing, daughter of Dior, son of Luthien of Doriath. Yes, go ahead and uh, look up an elvish uh, family tree there. And he's seen three ages in the west of the world and many defeats and many fruitless victories. Um, during the last alliance of elves and men, he was the herald of Gilgalad and marched with his host. And he was at the Battle of Daggerlad before the Black Gate of Mordor. And that's where the last combat was with Sauron, where both Gilgalad and Alundal died. And the sword Narsil broke underneath Elendil, but Sauron himself was also um, overthrown, and that's when he took the ring, um, cut it from Sauron's finger with the uh, with his father's broken sword and took the ring to keep. And that's when Baromir uh, interrupts in and is... Like, that's what became of the ring, and if if there was any story of that in the south, it's been forgotten, and he'd heard of the great ring of him that we do not name, but he believed that it had perished from the world in the ruin of the first realm. So Isildur taking it was news that he'd never heard. Yeah. And Elrond goes on about how Isildur took it, but he shouldn't have taken it. He should have cast it back into Orodruin's fire that was right there at the time. But few even knew about Isildur taking it. hmm And it was only him who was... It was only him who was still by his father during the battle, and um, by Gilgalad there was only Curdan and Elrond. Yeah. And Isildur would not listen to Elrond's counsel. At this, I know there's a lot of memes that's like, "Well, why didn't Elrond give him a little push?" Or. Uh-huh. Now. Yes, that would uh certainly saved a lot of war down the line, but I also don't see that as the kind of thing Elrond would have done. And if Elrond had done it, that would have had consequences of its own. Or like, like, oh, um, the current leader of the elves just pushed the um guy who was king of the men for a few minutes off of the that would not have been a consequence free action I still think Elvon could have tried a little harder to convince him to toss it Mm mhm But from Isildur's point of view, taking the ring was a wergild for his father and his brother. Uh, a wergild that's not really a current thing anymore. But it was... They, I guess you could compare it to life insurance in some ways, but... Yeah. It was a payment for the loss of a relative's life. Mm-hmm. Or you know, at least that's what he was telling itself himself. He was taking. Um, yes, the ring was clearly doing its own work here.
1: Yeah.
0: But it's a thing that used to exist that doesn't exist in the same form now. So he took the ring and was betrayed by it to his death. And so it was named in the north, Isildur's Bane. And by betrayed by it, it means it popped off of his finger where... an orc archer could see him. So any of this story only came to the north, only came to a few... And where Isildur died at the Gladden Field from the orcs attack, only three men came back.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, one of these men was named Otar, and he brought back also their shards of the Sword of Elendil, and he brought them to Valendil, the heir of Isildur, who was still a kid at the time and remained in Rivendell. But the sword Narsal was broken and its light extinguished, and it has not yet been forged again, and I don't know why they didn't. I'm sorry, I'm to any listeners who are like. who are in any way thrown off by these long string of names. I know this episode is a little less uh, organized than it ought to be. Elrond concludes that the victory of the Last Alliance was not totally fruitless because even though Sauron was not fully destroyed um, Sauron was diminished and wasn't currently in power but He is technically still around in a weaker form. And the ring... was lost to him, but it was not unmade. The Dark Tower was broken, but its foundations weren't removed. And they're not able to remove it because the foundations were made with the power of the ring. And while the ring is around, the foundations will stay around too. I don't know what these foundations were made from. <laughs> I don't
1: know.
0: But also, many men and many elves died in the war. Many of them were friends to Elrond. Both Anirion and Isildur were killed. So were Gilgalad and Elendil. And never again will there be any such league of elves and men because men multiply and the elves decrease and the two kindreds are estranged. And ever since that day... It says the race of Numenor has decayed and the span of their years has lessened. Now oh, I t- I take that to mean they're not uh living the extremely long lengths of time anymore. Although I, I don't know what Okay, Aragorn, at the time of this, he's 87. He's 87 and is fit and adventuring on foot. I'm sure if I went back to the appendices and did the math, I'd find out how old... The Numenoreans were making it through before, but yeah. I'm not going to deal with that right now. So in the north, after the war and um, what happened at the Gladden Fields... The men from Numenor diminished, and their city of a beside Lake Evendim is now a ruin. And the heirs of the all, uh moved and dwelt at Fornost on the high north downs, but that's now a ruin too. And some men call it Deadman's Dyke, and f- fear to tread there. So the implication I get is um, the men of Arnor are basically all but totally gone, and it's mostly just ruins and tombs from them now of what used to be the North Kingdom.
1: Right.
0: The South Kingdom, Gondor, it um, did a lot better. It's, for one thing, still there. They built high towers and ships, and they had their cities, Osgiliath, uh, Minas Tirith, and Minas Aethel. Um, uh, Minas Aethel was the Tower of the Rising Moon on the eastward side and westward. They had Minas Anor I'm sorry, I'm, like, starting to stumble over all these, uh... Yes, um, Evil came back into Mordor. Um, they, um, took over Minas, Ethel, and... Now it's Minas Morgul, the Tower of Sorcery. Minas Enor was renamed, it's now Minas Tirith, the Tower of Guard. And now Minas Morgul and Minas Tirith are at war all the time, and Los Gileath, between them, is a ruin where shadows walked, which is not further gone into. And the lords of Sireth still fight, keeping the passage of the river from the Argonath to the sea. So this is, I guess, from their founding until now. And uh, that's when Baramir comes in again. And speaks of how they're I'm sorry, I'm as they they're still at war with the enemy there, and um, Gondor still has its pride, it still has its dignity, and it's by their valor in battle that. The wild folk of the East are still restrained and the terror of Morgul kept at bay. And it's because of them that there's still peace and freedom in the lands west of them. And they're starting to get smoke rising from... The volcano, which I guess is being attributed to Sauron, as opposed to any uh, anything in Mordor having any natural uh, weather patterns. Yeah. So okay, I'm I know I'm awkwarding through this, but Boromir is an important military captain from Gondor. They're actively dealing with war at this moment and he doesn't see their land as dwindled and whatnot like Elrond was saying, so this is hurting his pride and they're in a desperate position now and he wants the means to deal with that now right. so from um that that's what things are from his perspective And he's also had a um, black horseman appear, and when that happened fear totally fell on um, both men and horses, and their forces, which were um, fighting in the area of Vosgiliath, um, they were defeated, and the last bridge over the river was destroyed. And he was part of the company that was holding that bridge. And only four people escaped by swimming, him, his brother, and two others.
1: I have a question about Black uh, horsemen. Yes. It's, it's the horse black. Yes. Always? Yes. Plus, they're wearing black garb.
0: It, Mordor is very into the aesthetic here.
1: Right. So nobody else would probably want to have a black horse out of fear that they might be mistaken?
0: And also Mordor is later found out to actively be stealing black horses from other people to...
1: To keep their stock. Right. Okay.
0: So there are fewer black horses around elsewhere because they're being taken. Yeah. And Baromir's brother, the evening before this defeat had happened, had a dream. And part of the dream was this rhyme. Seek for the sword that was broken, in Imladris it dwells, there shall be counsels taken. Stronger than Morgul's spells, there shall be shown a token that doom is near at hand, for his Isildur's bane shall waken, and the halfling forth shall stand. And nobody understood what any of this meant. Including their father, Denethor, currently Lord of Minas Tirith. Who was wise in lore of Gondor and all that they could make sense of was the imladris um, was a place of elves in a far northern dale where Elrond still was the greatest of loremasters and um Baramir's brother not named here but Faramir Can we go down <sighs> He wanted to go seek for Mladris because it was in the dream. But Baromir wanted to take the journey himself, and his father, Denethor, didn't want him to go. But he did end up being the one who went, and it was a extremely long journey to get there. And that's when Aragorn stands up and says, In the house of Elrond, uh, more of this is going to be made clear. And he takes out his broken sword and puts it on the table and said, that This is the, blade, the sword that was broken. And Baramir asks, Who are you and what do you have to do with Minas Tirith? And Elrond introduces him as Aragorn, son of Erathorn, descended through many fathers from Isildur Elendil, son of Minas Ithil. And he is the chief of the Dúnedain in the north and fewer are now left of that folk. Who I take to be the descendants of this kingdom of Arnor that's been destroyed for a lot of years. And then um, Frodo was in total surprise and says, And it belongs to you and not to me at all. And he jumps up like he expects the ring to be demanded at once. So here's Frodo. He's already starting to worry about losing the ring. But he still sounds like he'd be willing to... Give it up. Like, he's quick to say, Oh, it doesn't belong to me after all, but he also sounds like he's a little worried about losing it already. Right. And Eric one says, It doesn't belong to either of us. And it is just ordained that you should hold it for a little while, meaning to Frodo. And Gandalf tells him to bring out the ring, because the time has come, and Baramir will understand the remainder of the riddle. So there's Frodo holding up the ring, and Elrond says, Behold, Isildur's Bane. Now, this is to Boromir, who has never seen a hobbit before, probably hasn't heard of them. And so he's muttering about whether the. The doom of Minas Tirith has come at last, and why then should we be looking for a broken sword? And Aragorn says that this it did not say the doom of Minas Tirith, but that doom and great deeds are indeed at hand. I think that the word doom here is not necessarily... ...meant as ending or destruction, but could also mean fate.
1: Yeah.
0: So it is explained that this is the same sword as the sword of Elendil that broke all those years ago. And it's been kept as an heirloom of their house for all that time. And he asks whether they he wishes for the house of Elendil to return to the land of Gondor. And Barmir said he was not sent to beg any boom, but to seek only the meaning of the riddle. But they're hard-pressed, and the Sword of Elendil would be a help beyond their hope. If such a thing could indeed return out of the shadows of the past, and he looks at Aragorn with doubt. Bilbo is getting impatient, and is apparently um, annoyed on Aragorn's behalf. And he just suddenly stands up and gives the rhyme in full, all that is gold does not glitter, not all those who wander are lost. The old that is strong does not wither, death roots are not raised by the frost are not reached by the frost. From the ashes of fire shall be woken, a light from the shadow shall spring. Renewed shall be blade that was broken, the crownless again shall be king. And yes, that's right, that's the source of the not-all-who-wander-are-lost bumper sticker that a lot of cars have. (laughs) For some reason, usually without the... those. And after this, Bilbo says that it wasn't very good, perhaps, but it's to the point... And if it was worth a journey of a hundred and ten days to hear, you'd best listen to it. And then Bill Bosley whispering to Frodo about how he made that up himself. For the Dan a long time ago when he first um, told about himself and he wishes that his adventures were not over and he could go with him when his day comes i'm i'm sorry to any listeners i know i'm getting Off on a lot of tangents with this. We have cooking going on at the same time as recording, and
1: so if you hear anything.
0: Making coconut curry soup. Eric, when he says that he knows he doesn't um resemble all those figures out of the past very much. And him and his other um Dane, they're Rangers of the Wild and they're hunters, but they're hunters ever of the servants of the enemy. And the enemy are found in many places, not just Mordor. And if Gondor has been the stalwart tower against the enemy, they play another part. Because plenty of things that are getting past the strong walls and bright swords of Gondor into you know, lands far beyond them. And the North would have known very little of the peace and freedom that uh, Barmir mentioned. If not for them, because... Dark things come from the houseless hills or creep from sunless woods, but they fly before them. And what roads would any dare to go on... And what safety would they have if they didn't have these rangers? But travelers don't don't like them and sc- scowl and give scornful names. And he says, strider I am to one fat man who lives within a day's march of foes that would freeze his heart or lay his little town in ruin if he were not guarded ceaselessly. Yeah, he's talking about uh, Barlam and Butterbur again. Ah. And... I assume these foes are the Barrowites. I its not specified, but that's all I can think of. That's that close to um, Bree town.
1: Yeah.
0: So it sounds like Aragorn and his fellow Dunedain are. Basically, going around and fighting creatures that are servants to Sauron, and except for the Barrow Whites that I mentioned, I can't really think of what specifically in that area he'd be talking about. Yeah. And he says, if simple folk are free from care and fear, simple they will be, and we must be secret to keep them so, and that has been the task of his kindred while the years have lengthened and the grass has grown. Now, I'm not sure I uh, agree with the keeping it secret part. I mean, if I lived there and there's anything like that near me, I'd want to know. Maybe not go out... Maybe not go out too late at night. Maybe. Um. Maybe carry a sword with me when I do it. Move? Move. Well, it sounds like it's still the safest area compared with elsewhere.
1: Yeah. Me, I'm a Shire girl. And only in peaceful times.
0: and I've questioned like why has why have all the in this long still wanted to do this
1: right
0: I've I've maybe on some level you know compared it with Game of Thrones and the Night's Watch. But uh, most of the Night's Watch didn't choose to do that. Not directly. It's more like they're... um, Most of them joined that out of desperation or... Because they're being punished for something. And the White Walkers were so little known about that people stopped actually believing they were even a thing, and, um, the Night's Watch were thought of as being mostly there to keep wildlings out, you know, other people.
1: Yeah.
0: So it's got its similarities and its differences. But anyway, after all of that, they've got various people there, ultimately they're on behalf of the ring, and they have to decide what to do with it. They have Bilbo give the full story of um, his encounter with Gollum, and he didn't leave a single riddle out. And He even wanted to give an account of um, the party and his disappearance at the Shire, but Elrond stopped him from doing that. And suffice it that it is now passed to Frodo, his heir, and Frodo told of his dealings from, with the ring ever since it passed into his keeping. He told everything about his journey from Hobbiton to the Ford, and everything that he could remember about the Black Riders. Oh, and Bilbo says that's not bad, and it would make a good story if they hadn't kept on interrupting, and he tried to take notes, and there's whole chapters of stuff before you ever get here. That, folks, is called Breaking the Fourth Wall. And Frodo agrees that it made quite a long tale, but the story still doesn't feel complete, and he wants to know a good deal more, especially about Gandalf. And Gelder speaks up and he'd like to know what proof there is that this is the same ring from all of this and also wants to know what about Saruman Uh he is learned in the Lord of Rings but he is not among them and what is his counsel if he knows about these things also Gandalf's answer to this is that the tidings of Glorin in the pursuit of Frodo, um, that some people would find that proof enough that this is the same ring that the enemy is looking for. It's a ring, the nine are all kept by the Nazgul, the seven are all taken by Sauron or destroyed. And the three they know of, so what other ring would it be that Sauron desires so much unless it is the one ring? And Gandalf says there has been a long time between the loss of the ring and the finding it. But they're filling in the gaps about that at last. And many years ago, he had himself dared to pass the doors of the necromancer in Dol Guldur and discovered that this was no other than Sauron, the same person, well, being anyway, taking shape and power again in Mirkwood. And Saruman had dissuaded them from open deeds against him, and suggested they watch only. But finally, as the shadow grows, Saruman had agreed, and the council put forth its strength and drove the evil out of Mirkwood. And that was the same year as the finding of the ring. Which is a strange coincidence, if it is a coincidence. But it was too late. Sauron had been covering Mordor from far off and all he had to do was just move on over there as soon as he'd been uh, ousted from Mirkwood. And they learned that he had been Seeking for the ring already and They feared that he'd even gotten news of it that they didn't know of Saruman Said no and that the ring wouldn't be found again in Middle-earth and He'd looked into the matter and it fell into Anduin the great the river and rolled down the river to the sea and there let it just stay under the ocean till the end which was really so man was looking for it himself uh, as I'm about to go into and so was trying to re- ...reassure the others about it so they wouldn't look into it also. And no, I don't think a heavy gold ring... ...is that likely to just... ...go downriver to the sea that easily. Gandalf continued to have misgivings. He wanted to know how this had come to Gollum. He wanted to know how long Gollum had had it. So he well, said... How a, old was Gollum? Um, by the point of this story, Gollum would be over 500 years old.
1: Okay, from the time Gollum got the ring to the time Bilbo took the ring, what was the time span?
0: Pretty close to that.
1: Okay.
0: It's a long time. A very suspiciously long time for a creature that is not supposed to be immortal. I mean not that there weren't various beings that were and Right. how many really knew what Gollum originally was. Right. So Gandalf sets a watch for Gollum, thinking he's going to come out looking for the ring eventually. Which he does. But he still, he gave Gandalf the slip and um, couldn't find him. And Gandalf gonna let the matter go, and watched and waited only a lot of time passed and then Gandalf again has a sudden fear: where did the Hobbits' ring come from what if what should be done with it if his fear is true, and worries about what if the wrong person talks about it? And this is 17 years ago, before the present. Right.
1: Well, the fewer that know about the ring, the better. The
0: fewer that know, the better.
1: What is that, loose lips?
0: Loose lips sink ships. Yep. And Gandalf became aware of spies of many sorts gathered around the Shire, including beasts and birds... I've already overdone this subject of it being confusing and not clear to me when an animal in a Tolkien book it, it has some kind of alliance with good or evil, and when it's just an animal... Yeah. It's, it's not as... The division's not as clear as it is in, say, a Brian Jakes book. Right. Where... There's, like, birds that are just birds, and there's talking animals with their own usually very obviously good or evil side. Right. It's a weird thought to me that any animals, except for maybe the eagles or the talking ravens, would have any alliances of any sort. They come across as just regular animals. And if I was walking in Middle Earth and I saw an animal and it wasn't an eagle or a warg or something obvious, I'd be like, okay, I saw an animal.
1: <laughs> right.
0: So, after Gandalf somehow finds out that spies, including animals, are spying, he gets help from Aragorn, he talks with him about this stuff, and Aragorn's idea is that they should hunt for Gollum, even though it might be too late. And Gandalf thought that it seemed fit that Isildur's heir should um, work to repair Isildur's fault. Which actually, um, that's not quite fair. Actually, no, no, Aragorn, I'm sorry. (laughs) Aragorn thought that his heir should repair his Silders' fault, which, well, it's better than Gandalf uh, saying that. They have a long hunt for Gollum, and if this is of particular interest to you, I recommend going onto YouTube and finding a 25-minute movie called The Hunt for Gollum. It's entirely fan-made, not-for-profit, so I don't know the copyright technicalities that made it okay versus some other things not being okay, but it's up there. It'll presumably stay up there, and if you want to watch it, it's free. And it's it's very well made, and it's, it's an entirely fan-made production, really good costumes. Some of them look better than what some of the real um, official movies have, and it's All about Aragorn's hunt for Gollum.
1: Right.
0: So go check that out. I'll cover that in its own right eventually, but not at this time. So, yes, they have a long search for Gollum all over the place, including at the edge of Mordor itself, and they heard a rumor of him But they didn't find him. And they're about ready to give up. But then Gandalf has an idea that might make finding Gollum not needed. Because if the ring really was the right one, Saruman had mentioned at a council in the past that the nine, the seven, and the three each had a gem on them but the one had no gem and it was unadorned and looked like a lesser ring unless you put it in but it it had marks on it that were put there by the maker that the skilled could still see and read but what those marks were didn't say. And Saruman had to have found this out somewhere. And the only one who like might be a good source would be Isildur himself. So Gandalf's next thing is to try to find writings put down by Isildur. So he journeys to Gondor himself. And in the past, wizards were welcome there, especially Saruman. But now they're not as welcome with the current Lord Denethor. But he grudgingly does let Gandalf go looking through his. Um, collection of scrolls and books, it says horde. I'm like, disorganized library? But only if he is, sticks to what he says he's going to look at, which is records of ancient days and the beginnings of the city. And he's more worried about what's going to happen, um, doesn't care about stuff from the past. But unless Gandalf has more skill than Saruman, who has studied there long, is not going to find anything new there. That it, that Denethor, the master of the lore of the city, doesn't know already. But it turns out there were some writings that were not written in languages that men of Gondor would be reading at that point. And Gandalf did find a scroll that was written by Isildur that he thinks only he saw, that only he and Saruman ever read. And Isildur did not march straight away from the war. And once again Boromir, he, he steps in, and some in the north maybe think think that, but all know in Gondor that he went first to Minas Anor, and he dwelt there a while with his nephew Meneldil, before, and instructed him there before committing to him the rule of the South Kingdom. And that's where he planted the last sapling of the white tree in memory of his brother. So a bit about Baramir is like your first view of him he's proud, he's got um, he's sensitive to slights about you know, his land, and... um, what they do or don't know they're already. Uh, I don't want to give a whole, like, this... a whole dissertation of who Baramira is, a person, like, all at once, because we've got a whole book for that.
1: Right.
0: But... uh, he's a complicated character... Apparently, some people do see him as meant to be a bad guy, but I have never actually met one in real life. Um, In some ways, he's one of the most um, realistically human of the human characters written by Tolkien with... um, ...human virtues and human flaws. And a lot of it comes back to... um, ...both, you know, his pride in Gondor and... ...the pressure of... ...the war that they're dealing with. And... Most likely his father Denethor not being the easiest dad to have, even if um, he was the favorite son. So anyway, as to the contents of the scroll itself, Isildur wrote that the ring is an heirloom of the North Kingdom, but records of it will be left in Gondor, where also dwell heirs of Elendil, lest a time come when the memory of these great matters shall grow dim. I'm reading this pointedly. It was hot when I first took it, hot as a gleed, and my hand was scorched, so that I doubt if ever again I shall be free of the pain of it. Yet even as I write, it is cooled, and it seemeth to shrink, though it loseth neither its beauty nor its shape. Already the writing upon it, which at first was as clear as red flame, fadeth, and is now only barely to be read. It is fashioned in an elven script of region. For they have no letters in Mordor for such subtle work, but the language is unknown to me. I deem it to be a tongue of the black land, since it is foul and uncouth. What evil it saith, I do not know. But I trace here a copy of it, lest it fade beyond recall. The ring misseth, maybe, the heat of Sauron's hand, which was black and yet burned like fire. And so Gilgalad was destroyed, and maybe, were the gold made hot again, the writings would be refreshed. But from my part, I will risk no hurt to this thing. Of all the works of Sauron, the only fair. It is precious to me, though I buy it with great pain. So, you're already noting that the ring changes shape of its own accord. Um, Apparently, Sauron is very hot like fire. Uh, Sauron is... Not human, he's a mire. Didn't
1: somebody grab the ring and got burned and could feel the pain forever after?
0: Yep, that's that's the guy.
1: Yet, didn't, was it Gandalf that put it into the fire and didn't get burned from it by...
0: Well, the guy who got burned by it, it was hot from Sauron's hand, not the fire.
1: Okay.
0: So Sauron's hand must be really, really, really hot. Okay. Um, we know that the writing on the ring was in the Black Speech, which was the language of Mordor, but it was written in elven script. Because the letters from Mordor wouldn't work for the, um, the ultra-fine print that's being put on the ring like that. And he thinks that something evil is written on it and this is a world where magic clearly exists and he still wants to keep and wear it. And he said he said it is the only fair work of Sauron meaning beautiful okay at least on the surface I guess. And he definitely calls it Precious. No, the um, Isildur.
1: Okay. Several have called it precious.
0: Exactly. And I don't think that's a coincidence at all. So, that gives Gandalf something more to work with. You know, he, can, he knows he can try putting it on a fire. Um, Gandalf realizes... ...that the writing was in the Tongue of Mordor and the Servants of the Tower and what it said was already known. Because in the day that Sauron first put on the ring, Keller Brimble, maker of the three rings, was aware of him and from afar heard him speak the words. Uh-huh. Now here I'm going to admit I have a hazy memory of something I've had other copies of Lord of the Rings. I've re- when I was a kid I was reading from the library copies from the first I thought that one of them showed the writing. The
1: copy
0: shows the writing? Yes. Or maybe I'm just mistaken about when the writing is shown. Maybe it was in another part of the book and that's why I'm... Well,
1: I remember seeing the writing, but I'm not sure...
0: Yes, I am sorry. Yes, this is me making a mistake because the part where the writing is shown is back in that shadow of the past chapter where Gandalf put the ring in the fire. Because I was thinking that a copy of the writing shown in the scroll for me soldier section, and I was wrong about that. And maybe if Tolkien had put it there, it just would have been a little too obvious. Like, oh yeah, same writing, read that five chapter, read that uh, several chapters back, case closed, it's the ring. Ugh. Yeah, not five. I- ignore that number. Gandalf leaves Denethor, heads northward. He'd gotten message, a message from Lorien. that Aragorn had passed that way, and he'd found Gollum. And into what um, deadly perils he had gone alone, he dared not guess. And Aragorn says there's little need to tell of them, because if a man must needs walk inside of the Black Gate or tread the deadly flowers of Morgul Vale, then perils he will have. I mean, I personally would like to know more. I understand that would be a, yet another tangent, but it's just left to my uh, twisted imagination what happens in Morgul Vale now. But he does finally find Gollum on the edge of the dead marshes, just looking into some stagnant water. Grabs Gollum. Um, Gollum bit him. Aragorn wasn't gentle back. He was covered in green slime. I assume
1: Gollum.
0: Gollum was covered in green slime, yes. I'm sure Aragorn got some...
1: Having, yeah, they would have both I'm had. sure
0: they both had plenty of green slime.
1: Yeah.
0: And this was the worst part of Aragorn's journey because... He's dragging Gollum along who's not enjoying this journey either. And has to watch him constantly so he doesn't escape. is heading in the Mirkwood direction, and uh, Gollum is not getting any drink or food. Okay, Aragorn, not letting him have water is a bit, uh... I mean, yeah, this, this is Gollum, but still...
1: long is it? I mean...
0: I don't know, but...
1: The images I've seen of Gollum doesn't look like he's eaten much... Ever. Yeah. Well, when he became Gollum as opposed to what he was before. The images before, he wasn't emaciated.
0: How long can a Gollum go without water? I mean, a a human person who is uh exercising hard, I think three days is the limit. Maybe less depending on how hot it is. Yeah, it depends on the
1: person,
0: yeah. And the circumstances. I think Gollum's long uh ring exposure is making him tougher to that kind of thing than normal
1: yeah
0: Uh, they reach Mirkwood. Aragorn gives him to the elves and is glad to be rid of him because he's stinky Golem, getting a bath. I know, right? Gandalf uh, came and tried to attempt to talk to Gollum and get some information. Um, the party, t- the part Gollum told about losing the ring it didn't match Bilbo's original story but that didn't matter much because he'd already guessed it Gandalf learns that he first. that Gollum had first gotten it from the Great River, Nights of the Gladden Fields, and he'd had it a very long time, many lifespans of um, Gollum's kind. And the power of the ring making him live that long is a power only the Great weight Rings have. And between that and finding out that when he puts it into the fire at Frodo's house, it showed the letters, is, and the two proofs of it being the ring. And he read the words, Ashnazg Durbatulak, Ashnazg Gimbatul, Ashnazg Thakatulak, Ag Ishi Krimpatul and when, when uh, Gandalf re- s- um, gives those words, it sounds very menacing, and a shadow <laughs> seems to pass over the sun, and the porch grew dark, and the elves covered their ears. You know, apparently they can't handle uh, listening to that. And Elvon says that never before has any dared to utter words of that tongue in him, Ladris. And Gandalf just says, let us hope that none will ever speak it here again. But they're, they're at risk of that uh, being heard all over. So And they should put the doubt aside that this is the ring. The one ring to rule them all, one ring to find them, one ring to bring them all, and in the darkness bind them. And also Gandalf managed to learn from Gollum that he had... Already been in Mordor, (coughs) and that someone in Mordor had forced him to talk, which means that the enemy would now know that the one has been found. Baramir asked what happened to this uh, small thing, this golem small but great in mischief and what doom was he put to and the answer is he is in prison but no worse and that he had suffered much and had clearly been tormented in Mordor and the fear of Sauron lies black on his heart and he's glad that he's safely kept by the watchful Elves of Mirkwood. But, yes. Uh, he al- Yes, he also thinks that Mordor probably let Gollum loose on purpose on some evil errand. Yes. The reason why Legolas is here is to say that Gollum has now escaped from the imprisonment of the elves and Aragorn um, wants to know how that happened and Legolas says it wasn't through lack of watchfulness but perhaps through overkindliness they they guarded Gollum but um, they were wearied of that. But Gandalf hoped that there would s- still be a cure for him. And they didn't have the heart to keep him in the dungeon all the time. And have him fall into his old black thoughts. And uh, Gloin is offended by this because um, he didn't get this nice treatment. I mean the elves like fed him and stuff, but yeah, he definitely stayed in underground prison cell. That's not
1: long.
0: Not that long.
1: Yes.
0: And Gandalf says that was a regrettable misunderstanding and long set right. And if all the grievances that stand between elves and dwarves are to be brought up here, we may as well abandon this council. And Legolas continued that um, the elves had, um, on good weather, they'd you know, take Gollum walking in the woods and there was a tree that wasn't near any other trees that he liked to climb and get up into the tall branches and um, feel the free wind. And one day he wouldn't come down. And the guards didn't want to climb after him, because he'd learned the trick of clinging to tree limbs with his feet and his hands at the same time, and I'm like, those are what else? Why do they care? Telling me they can't climb trees and deal with a creature that holds on with its feet also. Sounds like they wouldn't like monkeys, lemurs. Uh... <laughs> so they set a guard because they don't—they didn't want to just leave him there. And that night, orcs came. And when the battle of the orcs was over, Gollum was gone. And the guards were either killed or taken with Gollum. And it seemed obvious that the orcs had shown up specifically to rescue Gollum. Which would mean there's some kind of use Sauron would have because this absolutely no reason I can think of why Orcs would want to rescue Gollum, considering how many he's uh, eaten. So Gollum is missing once again. And the final part of Gandalf's story is: it was the end of June. He was in the Shire, and he was still um, feeling anxiety. And he rode to the southern borders, feeling a foreboding of danger. And he got messages of war and defeat in Gondor. But he didn't see anything but a few fugitives from the south. Turned from the Shire, traveled on the Greenway, and not far from Brie he encounters the other wizard, Radagast the Brown, with his horse. That's right, the whole thing with the bunny sled, that's a movie-only uh, phenomenon there. Radagast rides a horse like everyone else. Um, He tells Gandalf he was seeking him, but he's a stranger in these parts, and had heard that he would be found in a wild region with the uncouth name of Shire, which shows that Radagast really doesn't know anything about that area. And Gandalf says he shouldn't say it that way to any of the inhabitants. But he is near the borders of the Shire. And that's why um, Radagast has been looking for him. He says he has an urgent errand. The news is evil. He's learned that the Nazgul, the Nine, are abroad again. And they've taken the guise of Riders in Black. enemy must have some great need or purpose and wherever they go the riders ask for news of a land called Shire which Gandalf corrects as the Shire and that really worried him because even the wizards together might not be able to withstand the nine Nazgul, especially under their chieftain, who was a great king and sorcerer of old, and he now wields a deadly fear. And Gandalf said that Saruman had told him this, and had also said that if if Gandalf feels the need, he will help and must seek his aid at once or it will be too late. And that message brought Gandalf hope, for Saruman was the greatest of their order. And Radagast is a worthy wizard, a master of shapes and changes of hue, and has much lore of herbs and beasts, and birds are especially his friends. But Saruman had studied the arts of the enemy himself. And they'd often been able to forestall him for that reason. Now, I'd like, I'd be interested to know more about this being a master of shapes and changes of hue, but that's, um, that just doesn't come up again. And Radagast urges Gandalf to go now, because they've wasted time. He's wasting time looking for Gandalf, and he was told to find him before Midsummer, and that's now. And he can't really expect to... ...reach Saruman before the Nine find the Shire. And he himself is going to turn back at once, he just gets back on his horse and was ready to ride off. But Gandalf says to stay a moment and send out messages to all the beasts and birds that are his friends and tell them to bring news of anything that bears on this matter to Solomon and Gandalf and let messages be sent to Orthanc, which in hindsight was probably a really bad idea. Yes, let's have all these birds and beasts bring messages to Saruman, who turns out to not be so trustworthy as they think. Gandalf heads out right away, stays the night in Bree, decides he doesn't have time to return to the Shire, which was a huge mistake, Wrote a message to Frodo, trusted it to his friend, the innkeeper, to send it to him. You all know how that went. I going to
1: say, yeah, uh, it didn't immediately happen.
0: Wrote away, came to the dwelling of Saruman. Now, Saruman um, lives at a place called Isengard that's at the end of the Misty Mountains, it's not far from the Gap of Rohan. And it's in a valley that is between the Misty Mountains and the foothills of the Arid Nimrace, the White Mountains. It's nowhere near the it's nowhere near Rivendell, it's nowhere near the Shire. Um he lives in a tower of stone called Orthanc and it was not made by Saruman but by the men of Numenor long ago. It's very tall and has many secrets and it looks not to be a work of craft. I don't know what that means. And it cannot be reached safe by passing the circle of Isengard and that circle has only one gate. Gandalf gets to the, great, the gate. It's guarded. The keepers of the gate were already on watch for him, Gandalf comes and um, Saruman says, so you have come Gandalf, and he tries to say it in a normal way, but Gandalf sees a white light in his eyes as if a cold laughter was in his heart. So already something seems off. And he scoffs at Gandalf the Grey for um, seeking for aid, one so cunning and so wise, wandering about the lands and concerning himself in every business, whether it belongs to him or not. And Gandalf says if he's not deceived there are things moving which will require the union of all their strength and Saruman says that may be so but the thought is late in coming to you and how long have you concealed this important matter and what brings him from his lurking place in the Shire, so you can tell something is already really off between them. And, um, Saruman... uh, Gandalf says the Nine have come forth again, Radagast told him. And Saruman just starts laughing about Radagast the Brown, Radagast the Bird Tamer, Radagast the Simple, and Radagast the Fool... And he had just the wit to play the part he was set to, for he is Saruman the Wise, Saruman Ringmaker, Saruman of many colors. So here you see Saruman used um, Radagast as some kind of a trap. And Gandalf looks and sees that the robes which seem white were actually woven of all colors, and if they moved, they shimmered and changed hue. Which I... How do you picture that?
1: What?
0: Like a prism sort of thing? Or Saruman's robes that look white, but they're not. They're many-colored. I can't
1: remember the term for that, but yeah. It's... It's like opal, and opal, you look at it different ways, or... um,
0: how white light is actually a rainbow.
1: And you look at it at different angles, and you see different colors, and I'm into rocks, so... But that's what I think.
0: Um, Gandalf says he liked white better and Saruman says white serves as a beginning white cloth may be dyed white page can be overwritten white light can be broken and Gandalf says in which case it is no longer white and he that breaks the thing to find out what it is has left the path of wisdom which has always uh, been an interesting Gandalf quote Um, Saruman goes on about how the elder days are gone, the middle days are passing, the younger days are beginning, the time of the elves is over, and our time is at hand and the world of men, and um, they must rule it. And they need to have power, and power to order all things as they will, for the good which only the wise can see. So at this point, Gandalf is... Sorry. Saruman is... Pretty much revealing himself he wants he wants power and he wants to rule over um, men
1: sounds like some people today
0: yeah and um, he wants Gandalf to join in on this and a new power is rising and against it the old allies and policies will not avail them at all no help no hope left in elves or númenor <coughs> and they should join with that power because it would be wise and as the power grows its friends will also grow And, um, Gandalf says he's heard speeches like this before, but only in the mouths of emissaries sent from Mordor to deceive the ignorant. <coughs> I think you can, uh, likely, uh, I mean, you, the listener, can likely see where this is going. Uh... Saruman plans to join with Mordor because they're going to be the winning side and um sharing the sharing the power themselves I
1: don't think either really want
0: to share power no not really but that's at least uh the plan he's willing to give out
1: right
0: (coughs) And if they and if, if they and I don't think there really is so much a they to it, it's it's Sarman here um gets the ruling ring and the power would pass to Sarman but he's still speaking in it as us because he's trying to sell the idea to Gandalf. And Gandalf says that only one hand at a time can wield the one, and he knows that well. Don't trouble to say we. And he wouldn't give it or even news of it to Saruman now that he knows what Saruman is really about. And the choices, it seems, are to submit to Sauron or to Saruman. He won't take either... And, um, Saruman says that in that case, his third choice is to stay here until the end. Until he reveals where the One Ring may be found or if he finds a way to persuade him. Uh, Um, then Gandalf is put at the top of the tower. So he's... Been up a many thousand step stairs. That it, even in the movie, I look at that and I'm like, oh, and I am not fond of anything that involves being in something really narrow with a height below it. I know, and yet I climbed the steps on a fire tower anyway. But
1: <laughs> well, I have found that I have vertigo. I found that out years ago, and yeah, not interested in.
0: Well, he's up there, exposed to the elements. Um, it's strongly hinted that Saruman might be thinking of some means of torture to make him talk, and also he's witnessing. Um, a lot of wolf and orc activity because wolves and orcs are being housed in Isengard because Saurman is getting his own army. So nothing good happening here. <laughs> and at first... Um, Gandalf is worried that Radagast might have fallen into evil, also because he helped, but nothing felt wrong in Radagast's voice, and so he thinks that Radagast genuinely was deceived and not in on this. Right. And it says he was up there until summer waned. I don't know. I don't know how much. Uh, summer
1: waned?
0: Summer waned. So. It was midsummer when Gandalf set out to go there. And.
1: I would assume that would be late summer
0: then. Part of the time was traveling, but. It sounds like he was up there a long time. Yeah. And then, um, at night when the moon is out, here the Windlord, swiftest of the eagles, comes unlooked-for to Orthanc and finds him standing on the pinnacle. And that's already weird for an eagle to be flying at night. And... Gandalf um, spoke to Gwaihir, and Gwaihir carried him away before Saruman could find out. And he was already far away before any wolves or orcs came out to look for him. He asked Gwaihir how far he can carry him, and Gwaihir says, Many leagues, but not to the ends of the earth. I was sent to bear tidings, not burdens. Then he says he must have a steed on land, and a steed surpassingly swift for I have never had such need of haste before. And so the eagle says he's going to take him to Edoras where the lord of Rohan is. Which is not very far off. Um, th- This is uh, the ridder mark of Rohan where the Roheran or horse lords live. And the... Um, breed very good horses in their land. So, Mm -hmm. it's... Where you could get a really good horse, and Gandalf um, doesn't know if the men of Rohan can be trusted, and the eagle says that they pay a tribute of horses and send many yearly to Mordor, or so it is said, but they are not yet under the yoke. Now, personally, I would say that sending a lot of horses to Mordor absolutely counts as being under the yoke.
1: Yeah.
0: Although uh, the actual truth of that matter will come much later and I don't want to spoil. Uh, once Gandalf gets to Rohan, Um, He finds already that the lies of Saruman have um, affected the king who just tells him to take a horse and go and um, Gandalf takes the best horse in the land and the king uh, Didn't
1: like that Can't blame him though. I would have done the same. And
0: Aragorn says that he must be a noble beast indeed, and it grieves him more than a lot of tidies that would seem worse to learn that Sauron is um, levying horses as tribute. And Baromir says that that's not true. It's a, it's a lie from the enemy that this is happening. Mm-hmm. You know they love their horses like family, and would not be giving them to Mordor for you know any reason. And this horse that Gandalf took is one among that that might have been foaled in the morning of the world. And the horses of the nine cannot vire with him, tireless, swift as the flowing wind. Shadowfax, they called him, and by day his coat glistens like silver, and by night it is like a shade, and he passes unseen. And nobody had ever ridden him before, but Gandalf took him and tamed him, and... um, rode him so fast that he reached the Shire when Frodo was um, still in the Barrow Downs, even though he left Rohan at the time when Frodo left Hobbiton. Right. Now, side note here, Shadowfax is basically an un... An unrealistically almost magical special horse. I think Tolkien did have a good idea of what horses really are and aren't capable of and is making special note that Shadow Facts is special and can be ridden that that hard for that long and Cover that kind of speed. We still didn't catch up with Frodo. Um, is continuing to hear tidings of the riders. They seem to have divided their forces somewhere on the eastern borders, um, not far from the Greenway, and some had invaded the Shire from the south. When he got to Hobbiton, Frodo had already gone, but he did talk with. Um, Gaffer Gamgee. Many words and few to the point, much like myself. And he had much to say about the shortcomings of the new owners of Bag End. If you remember, that is the Sackville Bagginses. He says he can't abide changes. Least of all, changes for the worst. and He kept saying changes for the worst. And um, Gandalf says that worst is a bad word. And he hopes that uh, the gaffer does not live to see the actual worst. It um, finally managed to get that photo had left less than a week before. And that a black horseman had come to the hill the same evening. He discovers that one or two had ridden towards Bree. Um, he thought of words that might be said to the innkeeper about that. And... Some stuff about roasting the old fool over a slow fire. And Butterbur was apparently expecting that too. And Frodo's like, "Oh no, you didn't actually hurt him, did you?" And Gandalf laughs at that, and um, he he basically explains he found out that Frodo had left with Strider, and is overjoyed about that and um, Butterbur mistakes him and says I am afraid so sir he got at him in spite of all he could do and they took off with him they behaved very queer all the time they were here, willful you might say and uh, Gandalf calls him an ass and a fool and a thrice worthy and beloved Parliament. It's the best news he's had since midsummer. It's worth a gold piece at least, and may his beer be laid under an enchantment of surpassing excellence for seven years. And he's going to take a night's rest, the first since he's had since he's forgotten when. I don't know how literal the enchanted beer is, but... Sounds good from my non-beer drinking perspective.
1: Butterbeer burr sounds
0: like a beer. I mean it's a let it's a couple letters away from being butterbeer. I know.
1: <laughs> from a different author, a different story. Yeah. Another Brit.
0: He st- so he stays there the night, wondering what happened with the writers. Um found out that they had been through Brie, and, oh, yeah, in the night they heard more, they, um, five k five at least of them came from the west, and they threw down the gates, they passed through Brie, and the Brie folk are still shivering and expecting the end of the world, got up before dawn and went after them. Finds out that their captain remained in secret, away south of Bree. Two went through the village, four more through the Shire. And the captain was heading eastward across country. Gandalf heads to Weathertop. Um, he has uh, some kind of battle with them on top, which is, I presume, the storm stuff that they saw, that the travelers saw. while
1: When they were out that exposed spot.
0: And at that point, Gandalf is having to trust this all to Aragorn that Aragorn is getting Frodo safely where he's supposed to go. Gandalf himself um, went up the Horwell River and through the Etten which would not be my uh, travel place of choice, a lot of trolls there, down from the north, and it took him nearly 15 days from Weathertop because he couldn't ride among the rocks of the Trollfells and Shadowfax departed and was sent back to his master. But a great friendship has grown between them. And if he has need, he will come at... Shadowfax will come at his call. No, I don't understand how that works. So, like, over how long a distance are we talking? I I know the whole movie thing where Gandalf's got this whistle and Shadowfax just comes, you know, riding over the... Horizon
1: It's nice to see that Shadow Facts could I I guess change its loyalties.
0: And that is the end of Gandalf's side of the story. May Elrond and the others send us- as a side note, my listeners, forgive the length of it. So the tale of the ring is told, but they are not nearer to their purpose of what should be done with it. Um, it's... It, it's a bad news about Saruman because they um, trusted him, and he knows too much of their councils already. It is perilous to study too deeply the arts of the enemy, for good or for ill. Um. Elvon's, um, to Elvon the tale of Frodo is strange to him, and he's known few hobbits except for Bilbo. But perhaps Bilbo is not so alone and singular as he had thought him, and the world has changed a lot since he'd last gone anywhere that way. They know the Barrow Whites by a lot of names already, Um, doesn't go into more about that. They have many tales of the old forest, and it's all that remains of what um, was an outlier of its northern march, and there was a time in the past when a squirrel could go from tree to tree from what is now the Shire to Dunlun west of Isengard. So imagine a really big forest of those trees. What if they were all that angry? I imagine they wouldn't have had as many reasons to be uh, angry trees yet, hopefully. He'd forgotten Bombadil, if this is the same one that walked the woods and hills long ago and even then was older than the old, and that was not then his name. He was Irwin Ben-Adar, was what they called him, oldest and fatherless.
1: Oh, so Bombadil had other names.
0: He had other names. He was also foreign to the dwarves and Orald to the northern men and other names besides.
1: Fatherless, meaning he had no father or he was not a father?
0: He had no father.
1: Okay. Oh. All right. Okay. So let's say he was father to lots of woodland creatures.
0: He is a strange creature, but maybe I should have summoned him to our council and Gandalf just said he wouldn't have come. And they're like, could we still send messages to him and get his help? He seemed to have a power even over the ring. And Gandalf said he wouldn't put it so it's more like the ring had no power over him because he is his own master and he cannot alter the ring itself nor break its power over others. And he is withdrawn into a little land within bounds that he's set even though none can see them, and he's waiting perhaps for a change of days and he must not step beyond them. But um, Aristor says that within those bounds, nothing seems to dismay him, and couldn't he just keep the ring there, harmless? And Gandalf says, you know, not willingly. Maybe he would do so if all the free folk of the world begged him, but he wouldn't understand, like, why that's important.
1: No, would it really be harmless?
0: yes. And he would eventually forget the ring or likely even throw it away because that kind of thing doesn't have any hold on his mind, so he would not be a safe guardian for it. Oh, I've I've have i I've seen the memes of I'm not gonna give it in uh give the quote in full because I actually do try to stay fairly family friendly here, but The gist of it is, oh, if Bombadil gave a hoot, he could have walked right to Mordor, um, definitely using the ring and punched Sean in the face, if only he actually cared. Right. I'm unclear whether this is actually true or not like does he have that kind of power outside of his little domain or how much power would he have against another great power on its own domain like say Sauron I'm not totally clear Right. But also, regardless, sending the ring to him would only postpone the
1: inevitable.
0: The inevitable.
1: Yeah.
0: And um, much like what I said a few minutes ago, if Sauron were to learn of this and put all of its power toward it, would that power, would Bombadil be enough to defy it alone? And he thinks that in the end, even if all else is, um, this is uh, Glorfindel speaking, he thinks that in the end, if all else is conquered, Bombadil will fall, last as he was first, and then night will come. Gildor agrees that you know he doesn't know very much about um, Bombadil, or as he calls him, Irewain. But he doesn't think that he has the power to defy the enemy unless such power is in the Earth itself. Um, which is also kind of lending some uh, to the theory that Bombadil is some kind of spirit of the land. Um, points out that Sauron seems to have power to torture and destroy the very hills. And what power still remains lies with us, meaning I guess the elves, here in Imladris, or with Curden at the Havens, or in Lorien. Which You don't get Lorien until the second. until um, later in this book, so I'm not going to go into that here. But even then, it's not clear that they have the strength to withstand Sauron when everything else is overthrown, and Elrond says that he doesn't, neither have they. Uh, I don't know if... I don't know if I mentioned already that Elrond has one of the three elven rings. So Elrond has a ring of power himself, not as strong as the one Sauron is after. And as long as Sauron doesn't get his ring, it's not influenced by Sauron either, because Sauron didn't help make that one. But that is, um, what's probably being referred to when it talks about, um, there being a power there in Imladris and then another in, um, Lorien uh, Clorfindel thinks that it would be a good idea to throw the ring into the ocean and make the lie that Saruman told, um, come true. And it would be safe there in the sea. Gandalf doesn't agree because there are many things in the deep waters. And sometimes seas and lands may change. So what's underwater might not always forever be underwater. And it isn't for them to decide to postpone it for the people of another age to um, deal with when it eventually gets found again. And if if the return back to where Bombadil is would be too dangerous, then attempting to get to the ocean would be even worse because that is um, something Sauron would expect them to do. And even though the Nazgul have lost their horses, that's just a respite until they find even faster new steeds. And only Gondor stands between them and a march in power along the coasts into the north. And attacking the White Towers and the Havens, meaning the elves would also not be able to sail west out of Middle-earth. And bar once again is a like Gondor is still standing and long yet will that march be delayed. And they, And They come to the conclusion that they have to either hide the ring forever or unmake it and both are beyond their power. The westward road to the sea would be the easiest and therefore it must be shunned because that's what they're going to expect them to do. And their hope is in a walk into peril to Mordor. They must send the ring to the fire. So everyone goes silent after... that Boromir is the first to speak again Um, he says he doesn't understand even though Saruman is a traitor doesn't he have a glimpse of wisdom why should they speak of hiding and destroying it um maybe the ring has come into their hands to serve them in their hour of need and they should wield it to defeat the enemy and that is what he most that is what the enemy most fears he thinks the men of Gondor are valiant they will never submit but they're beaten down they need strength they need a weapon the ring can be their weapon if it has the kind of power they say it does they should take it and go forth to victory And Elvon says that they can't use the rolling ring. It belongs to Sauron. It was made by him alone. It's altogether evil. And its strength is too great for anyone to wield. It will save only those who already have a great power of their own. And for them it holds an even greater peril. The desire of it corrupts the heart like was happening with Sauron And if somebody with that kind of power, like any of the wizards, were to overthrow Sauron, they would end up setting up themselves as the new Dark Lord. And that's another reason it needs to be destroyed, because it's a danger even to the wise. For nothing is evil in the beginning, even Sauron was not so... And he fears to take the ring to hide it, and will not take the ring to wield it, and Gandalf says that he won't either and um Gondor says then they're gonna have to trust in Gondor they're going to have to trust to the kind of weapons they have. While the wise ones guard the ring, they will fight on, and perhaps the sword that was broken may still stem the tide, if the hand that wields it has inherited, not an heirloom only, but the sinews of the kings of men. Time for me to do the red wall, he said sinewy. And Aragorn says, Who can tell, but we will put it to the test one day, and Baramir says, May the day not be too long delayed. For though I do not ask for aid, we need it. It would comfort us to know that others fought also with all the means that they have. You know, once again, Baramir's c- country is at, w- is at war, and it is desperate, and... This is, um influencing Boromir's uh desire to take the ring <laughs> And El- Elrond says, there are other powers and realms that you don't know. They're hidden from you. And Anduin flows past a lot of shores before it comes to um, the Argoneth and Gondor. And Gloriden says, it would be well for all if all these strengths were joined. And the powers of each were used in League. And other rings that might be there are less treacherous that they could use. That The Seven are lost to them if Balin has not... found the ring of Thor, which they haven't heard of since Thor died in Moria. And it was partly in the hope of finding the ring that Balin went there. Mm -hmm. Gandalf says Balin's not going to find it there because Thor gave it to Thrain, his son, but Thrain didn't give it to Thorin. It was... Taken with torment from Thwain in the dungeons of Dol Guldur, so by Sauron. Although so this is the first time Gloin is getting this particular news, and he. Um, reacts, you know, uh, alas, when will the day come of our revenge? But still there are the three what of the three rings of the elves, which are said to be very mighty. Do not the elf lords keep them? Weren't they they were too were made by the Dark Lord long ago. Are they idle? He says see's Elf Lords here, won't they say <laughs> And Elvon uh Correct, Slaan. That the three Elven rings weren't made by Sauron. He didn't touch them. But of them, it is not permitted to speak. Which I don't know why. But they're not idle. But they are not weapons of war or conquest. That's not what their power is. They were made by them that did not desire strength or domination or hoarded wealth, but understanding, making, and healing to preserve all things unstained. So I will basically explain it as it's it's holding Rivendell, Lorien, and the Havens as is, with as little change as possible. And Clorin asked what would happen if this... But if... um, I'm sorry.
1: The ruling ring were destroyed as you counsel.
0: Yes. Well, first it's um, explained that if Sauron did get his ring back... Um, the power of the three would be turned, um to the elves' undoing because their minds and hearts would become revealed to Sauron and it would be better if the three rings hadn't been made. Um, Glorion asked what would happen if the ruling ring were destroyed and Elrond doesn't know for sure. And the two most likely outcomes are that the three rings would... Um, become free, and their rulers might heal the hurts of the world that have been wrought by Sauron. But also, maybe the three will just not work anymore, and a lot of um, beautiful things would fade and be forgotten, and that's the most likely outcome. But the elves are willing to take that chance. But they still... And not closer to how they are going to get the ring to the fire to unmake it. It's a long and dangerous trip. And it's... It's one that realistically would likely fail. They're still going to have to do it. And Bilbo um, says, oh, you know, he realizes what this means. He's going to have to, he's the one who started it. He's going to have to fix it. He was planning on putting in his book that he lived happily ever afterwards to the end of his days. But now he's going to change it. Have to change it because it looks like that's not how it's going to be. So, Bilbo was actually the first to volunteer himself to go to Mortar and take the ring back.
1: But I never thought Bilbo would be the one, anyhow. Always kind of saw it as a Frodo thing.
0: And um, Gandalf says, you know, if Bilbo had really been the one who started it, he might be expected to finish it. But it's, it goes up far beyond it being something that any one person started and it's uh, this quest is beyond Bilbo's strength and he can't take it back anyway it's passed on and he thinks Bilbo should just you know finish his book don't change the ending there's still hope for it but get ready to write a sequel More, uh, more breaking the fourth wall. And Bilbo actually says he's never known Gandalf to give pleasant advice before, but all of his unpleasant advice has been good. So maybe this pleasant advice is bad. But he doesn't think he has the strength or luck left to deal with the ring himself either, because it has grown and he has not.
1: (coughs) Yeah, he's aged since the ring left his.
0: Yeah, that would be like giving that job to like a senior citizen in a nursing home. Like, that's not. It's gonna be too much for him. Yeah. So, they've decided that there's going to be the messengers who are sent with the ring, so it's not going to be just one person on this trip. Um, and they're still undecided at who it's going to be. Elves may thrive on speech alone and dwarves endure great weariness, but... Bilbo is only an old hobbit and he misses his meal at noon and can't think of some names now or put it off till after dinner. Um, By the way, all the time I've been podcasting, uh, I've been, like, not actually eating my dinner. Um,
1: It's a long one.
0: It is a long one. Uh, Noon bell rings. And Frodo is just, thinking and feeling an overwhelming longing to just rest and remain at peace with Bilbo at Rivendell. But he speaks up and, um, barely, like, registers with himself that he's the one saying that he says, I will take the ring, though I do not know the way. And Elrond, um looks at him and agrees that the task has been appointed for him, and this is the hour of the shire folk when they arise from their quiet fields to shake the towers and councils of the great. But who of all the wise could foresee it? Or if they are wise, why should they expect to know it until the hour has struck? But it is a heavy burden and nobody can lay it on another, so they're not going to lay it on him, but if he takes it up freely, they'll say that his choice is right. And though all the mighty elf-friends of old, hador and Hurin and Turin and Baron himself, were assembled together, his seat should be among them. Now, if you want to know who any of these people are, read The Silmarillion. And Sam says, You're not going to send him alone, Shirley M- Astor. And he jumps up from the corner where he had been sitting quietly. And um Elwand says, You at least really shall go with him. And it's hardly possible to separate you from him, even when he is summoned to a secret council and you are not. And. Uh, Um, Sam sits there. Nice pickle. We have landed ourselves in Mr. Frodo. And the end of this, uh, it's the end of this long chapter. Um, Thank you to anyone who uh, had the patience to uh, sit through me fumbling through all those uh, bits of Gondor history.
1: This is a 35-page chapter with a lot of Info. That I, um...
0: I was like, yeah, I can finish that in 45 minutes, and I'm... It probably... Which, um, clearly didn't happen. It's
1: more like two and a half hours, is my guess. Well, Thanks for listening, and
0: we'll be doing more... More Lord of the Rings, more Game of Thrones, more Hunger Games. Stay tuned. Um, thank you for listening to Caston's The Fire podcast. And have a great evening.
1: Bye.